Let's pray. Lord, I want to lift up uh, Pastor Troy as he uh, preaches the word to you from the book of uh, Haggai. Haggai. Um, I just want to uh, pray for us who are listeners that there are ears and our eyes and our hearts would be open to you and that we would um, be able to uh, discern the wisdom uh, of your words that are about to be read and uh, to just be able to uh, take and glean from Troy's sermon um, just the, the gems of, um, of the uh, preaching that can be applied by us in our day-to-day life. Uh, again, Lord, may we be your servants and be able to uh, go out and just be a reflection of the, the, the light uh, and, and engage uh, our, our city, which is so needy. And um, yeah, we just, we just pray for all of that and for our part in just bringing about restoration um, and love to the community around us. So we pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Haggai. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, who say, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, we just heard a pep talk. And you remember the last pep talk that you received? Uh, I'll tell you, um, some of us have received pep talks that have hurt us, (laughs) damaged us. Um, Others of us, you may be thinking of a dad right now that gave you a pep talk or some disgruntled coach that may have given you uh, a pep talk. If you're a football fan, you probably remember Vince Lombardi's Super Bowl II pep talk. Uh, some head shaking there. I don't normally give football illustrations, but uh, it sort of fit with this opener here of a pep talk where Vince Lombardi is famously known in getting in that locker room with those uh, players and basically just starting from the very beginning saying, this is a football. Like went back all the way to the very beginning. Let's get to the basics. Um, We have a pep talk in front of us right here, given through the prophet Haggai. 
And uh, as we've been looking at these prophets here in uh, God's Word, and by the way, welcome back to Journey Through Scripture. This is the series that we find ourselves in, and we're taking one book of the Bible every week. And so it means lots of preparation, lots of study to try to understand what that book of the Bible is about, and then how it fits to the overall story in the Bible. And what applications are there for us? What does it matter that this book called Haggai is uh, even in the Bible? And so as we come to this, uh, let me give us a little bit of orientation around what time is for this prophet. Uh, As you know, the prophets, the minor prophets, have been speaking against injustice. And that's because God is sick of it. He hates the injustice that's going on. There are people in that original cultural milieu that are getting wealthy on the backs of others. There's unjust business practices that are going on. Um, And so this uh, is also sprinkled in with idolatry. And so the prophets are speaking out against that injustice and idolatry. And do you remember the message of the prophets? They're trying to get folks to return to the story. Not the story of your own empire. Not the story of building your own name hurting others, stepping on the backs of others uh, so that you can have your product and name uh, advanced, but return to the story, God's story, where you can actually know that you're loved. You don't have to go out desperately looking for love. You can actually love your neighbor because of the miraculous and beautiful ways in which God has loved you. And so God is helping his people return to the story. And so through the prophets, they're basically, if you're taking notes, there are three uh, large segments of time that these prophets, these minor prophets, are writing into. Uh, I'll, I'll list them. The first one is the Assyrian period. And these are prophets like Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah. And a key date is 722 B.C. So God's people are... Um, uh, attacked uh, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, the big bad Assyrian Empire takes them off. They're, they're thrown into exile. Um, and then there's a larger empire that comes and overtakes Assyria, and that's the Babylonian Empire. And so that gets us into the second uh, period. Uh, those prophets are Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Obadiah. Some hard names to say, but uh, go back and read these prophets if you haven't already. And the key date there is, anyone remember? It's test time. Anybody remember? It's 586. 586, where there's the Babylonian uh, Empire invades, the temple is destroyed, and God's people are taking off um, into exile. Another uh, maybe test question here or trivia is, when was the first temple built? This would have been back in 950 B.C. This is David's son Solomon is building the first temple. So when we get to Haggai, Haggai's writing in the what's called the Persian period, okay? And this is um, prophets like Joel, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And this is where it gets incredibly interesting. I've, I've lost some of you already. I know it. Hang with me. We're going to get to some really cool applications and so forth here in just a moment. It'll all come together. Um, for those of you students, you're like, okay, keep, keep going, keep going. Okay, so the the key date for the Persian period here is 539 B.C. And that's important because the Persian ruler Cyrus the Great 
ends up capturing Babylon. And are God's people going to get punished again? No. What happens in 538 is Cyrus the Great permits Jews to return from Babylon back home. It's wonderful. It's like God's design that that was even able to happen. So as they return home, they're there and they want to start rebuilding their lives, their city, and guess what else? Their temple. And that's what Haggai is writing into. He's telling them, you came back here, you got started rebuilding the temple, you started doing that for a little while, you got discouraged, you got distracted, you're exhausted, and you just quit. And in fact, you started focusing on your own homes and building your own wealth. And meanwhile, my temple is there lying in ruins. And you need to pick up the work in God's name and continue it. If you want um, to see what that story is um, explained, it's in the book of Ezra. We talked about Ezra many, many weeks ago because it, uh, it appeared in God's word much earlier. But chronologically, Haggai is writing into the same context and time period as the book of Ezra. Is you all still with me? Okay, great. Can't wait to go read Haggai, I know. Um, okay. So work gets started, it's stalled, um, and so the temple's foundation is there, uh, and some of them are, are actually really excited. Hey, we got the foundation done. And it sits there for approximately 15 more years, and then Haggai's coming into that situation around 520 B.C. to motivate these people to get them to repent and take up the work of rebuilding the temple. So a few major themes. We'll cover some major themes here. The first major theme in the book is misplaced priorities. Anybody struggle with misplaced priorities? Anybody end up focusing on things that maybe uh, it's really just a, a maneuver to procrastinate and you end up, yeah. Misplaced priorities is found all in this book. They, they come back to Jerusalem, they're spending their time and their money building their own fancy homes while the temple is in ruins. And so Haggai asks in chapter 1, verse 4, are your houses more important than your allegiance to God? Like if we want to talk about prioritizing, what's more important? Who's more important? And then he ends up saying, this is why the land, this is why there's a famine in the land. God had caused a famine to happen in the land. That's why um, there's drought. And so he, 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 Haggai, quotes the covenant curses from Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy was saying, if you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of slavery, right? if you forget the story, it, these things are going to happen to you, to call you back, to help you return to the story. So Joshua, Zerubbabel, good job, Alan, by the way, pronouncing these names. Zerubbabel um, and the people, it says, they were all provoked from this message and they were motivated. They repented and they started rebuilding the temple. It's, it started happening again. And that gets to the second uh, theme is that the temple represents God's presence. Okay, like you need to know that as you... Think about the theme of the temple. Yes, it was a physical structure, but it represents something more than just what's physically there in front of them. It represents God's very presence is with them. Uh, and so he's saying here, Haggai is actually talking about the new Jerusalem. And he's going to use Isaiah and he's going to use Micah in some of his language. 
And it would be the place, this temple's going to be the place from which God is going to redeem the entire world. It's going to be the center of the universe. And it's going to result in an era and a world of peace. The same things that we were just praying for moments ago. Healing, restoration, and peace. So then the third major theme is there's this call to covenant faithfulness. And that means if the current generation doesn't humble themselves and return, find their strength in the Lord, and take up the work of the Lord, including this temple, and if they don't do it with a pure heart, the temple's going to be impure as well. Like their fingerprints of wrong motives are actually going to be on what they build. Um, so then this gets us to the last major theme, and that is the future hope of God's, God's kingdom. He's, again, going to make this new Jerusalem the center of this beautiful international kingdom. He's going to be bringing people from all nations, all tribes, all languages. This is not just a Jewish religion. This is going to be something where God knows people from every language, every tribe, every nation to fulfill his covenanted promise from long ago. So the book ends with a choice of a bright future. If you go back and read uh, the book, there's only two chapters. You can read it. It ends with this choice of a bright future hanging there right in front of them. And there's basically a question. Will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they return? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? Will they actually get to see it happen? Will Zerubbabel be faithful? Will Zerubbabel turn out to be the messianic king? Well, the answer to that one, of course, is no. Uh, But we'll have to come back next couple weeks as we look at Zechariah and Malachi to find out how this story continues to unfold. But there is a challenge to every generation And that is that our choices really do matter. Our choices matter. What was placed before these people, it mattered. And so this should motivate us towards humility and action as God's people, as we look forward to God's kingdom. So anyway, that's our narrative summary, by the way. Um, we do that each week. We have a narrative summary so you can know at least what the book is about. And now we choose a sample passage. And thank you, Alan. You read that sample passage earlier for us. And so we're talking about a pep talk. And I want to look at three things that God does in this pep talk. Some of the DNA. If you ever have to give a pep talk, you may find some similar DNA here in a talk that you give. If you're trying to rally people around a, a, a common vision. Uh, The first thing is the reality of the difficulty. God makes sure to not gloss over that one. I just say, rah, 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 go get them, you can do it. But there's a reality of the difficulty. Secondly, there's the source of strength. You need to be reminded, where does your strength come from? And then the third piece of the pep talk is practicing God's presence. Okay, so first off, the reality of difficulty. If you're looking at verses 1 through 3 with me, I hope you are, you'll notice this phrase here as it starts out in verse 1, the 21st day of the seventh month. Oh, what in the, why is that so important? Why is, the, why is the Bible so granular sometimes in certain details? Well, it wants us to know that this is only four weeks into the rebuild project. 
They're only four weeks into the rebuild project, and they're most likely tired. They're most likely exhausted. How many of us are tired? I'm trying to make a connection here with us. How many of us are tired and exhausted right now? Work, school, thank you, honest people, exams. Uh, lots going on where we may be tired and exhausted. Now imagine the original context. You've been working, we've been there, uh, rebuilding this temple. We're four weeks into it, and there's a famine. It's harvest time, but there's nothing to eat. Okay, now it's sinking in a little bit more about how exhausted we might be and discouraged we might be feeling. And so that's what God does to give a pep talk to these people. He's, he's reminding them of their circumstances. And I love that the Bible does that. I hope that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable about the Bible. I hope you feel even more drawn to the story in the Scripture and a God who knows that there's difficulty in your story. As we learn to lament together as a church and walk with others in their period of grief and lament and difficulty, it's a God like this one, a God of the Scriptures, that's able to name that. And it's people like David in the Psalms that's able to say things like we quoted together this morning in the call to worship. Will you just answer me, O God? Where are you? So these verses 1 through 3 here. Oh, by the way, um, also the seventh day that, that he's talking about here uh, is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. It's this Jewish festival when they would remember God's tabernacle. That's a temporary dwelling, temporary dwelling, celebrated every year, representing when they lived temporarily in the desert, moving from place to place, but that God eventually rescued them out of slavery. God did it in a miraculous way. So there's this harvest festival that's going on, but again, there's no harvest. It's bleak, it's bad. Verse 3 says, did any of you see the temple the way it used to be? So once again, God through Haggai is wanting the people to understand that this temple that they're rebuilding doesn't look as big, doesn't look as grand as the first temple. He's wanting them to know that. And really, I think this passage right here relates to a lot of us that we've gotten started maybe in some work that God has called us to do. We've gotten started in a marriage. We've gotten started uh, in some career. We've gotten started uh, pursuing a degree. And it's gotten hard. Somewhere in that journey, we're going to get honest again here, it's gotten difficult. And I believe that relates to all of us here. And the call here is that just because you're doing the right thing and sticking with it, you might not see the results right now. You might be tempted to just quit. And so he, he promises that, um, he's basically, Haggai's giving us a promise here that every time that you do what's right in God's eyes, every time it's gonna work out better for you. You, you just stick to the story, just trust the story. Trust the writer of this story. You may not see it, but it's always going to be to your advantage to follow God, to prioritize God in the midst of the difficulties going on in our lives. 
So Haggai is essentially saying, I, I know you've made the right decision. Uh, I know it's been tough and you haven't seen the immediate blessings, but just please hold on. Just please hold on. Please keep going. And so that leads us to the source, the source of our strength in this pep talk, verses four and five. Verses four and five. Verse four, if you're reading it, it says, be strong. Some of us love that charge, don't we? That, that's a great pep talk. Just go be strong. And um, it may sound a lot like Aesop's fables to you. Maybe you read Aesop's fables or had Aesop's fables read to you as a, as a little kid. Uh, Aesop is uh, this storyteller believed uh, to be uh, right around the same period here as Haggai uh, from ancient Greece, and writing these little stories. And there's one uh, of where a man, uh, one of Aesop's fables, where a man calls on the goddess Athena for help when his ship is wrecked, and then he's advised to try to go swim first. <laughs> Imagine, your ship is wrecked, you need help, and Aesop's fables says... Go swim. Don't cry out for help. You can fix it. Just try swimming a little harder. Uh, there's the one of the fable of Hercules and the wagoneer. The wagon gets stuck in the mud and its driver appeals to Hercules for help. And yet he's told, get to work yourself. <laughs> okay, Haggai is not trying to get them motivated by a pep talk such as what Aesop's fables does for us. Uh, or some ranting coach that might be trying to just get you ready to go out in your own strength. Let's read it. Let's read the text. It says, be strong, uh, work. And then it says, for I am with you. Wait a minute, that's it? (laughs) That's it? That's the pep talk? That you're with me? And that's my question before you today is, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Is that enough motivation? In Haggai's day, I'm sure he's wondering, I'm sure God is wondering, is that going to be enough for these people? Is that enough for you? Verse 5 says, according to the covenant that I have made with you when you came out of Egypt. Look, it's a God saying, I know your story. I'm your redeemer. I'm the one who rescued you. I'm not going to forget you. Your story is going to be painful. I'm with you. I'm for you. Verse 5, it says, my spirit remains in your midst. Therefore, fear not. Not because you're so strong. Not because of all of your amazing resources. or You're so intellectual, prowess over everyone else. But I am with you, he says. And the New Testament tells us real clearly what you get from God being with you. Because some of us want to know the advantage, right? Like, well, tell me... You do this in sales, by the way. You you need to show someone the advantage of um, purchasing product or buying in. And so uh, New Testament does this for us. What do you get if you remain in God? There's a promise there. John 15, Jesus says, I will remain in you. This is a relationship. This is a covenant that we have together. You're going to remain in me. I'm going to remain in you. What if you get... Or what do you get if you teach all the nations, baptizing them? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Here's the big point about the source of your strength. God's promise to you is God. God's promise to you 
is God. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I have with people week in and week out, year in, year out. Now it's decade in and out. Conversations with people saying, what am I going to get if I become a follower of Christ? What am I going to get if I stay in this relationship with God? Am I guaranteed that my marriage is going to be great? No. Am I guaranteed that, that, my, that my child's not going to get sick? No. Am I guaranteed that my, my business is, I mean, I'm being honest in my business. Am I guaranteed that, that, that I'm going to get successful? No. But what you will get is God. And we're back to that same question. Is God enough for you? Is God enough for us? God is his greatest gift to us. Not the things, not the provision, not the relationships. All those are wonderful things. But God's greatest gift is himself. God is grace. God is mercy. God is compassion. God is personal inviting us to know him in those ways. So our hope is not in some philosophy. This is usually a very interesting conversation with a friend over coffee or beer or a running club partner or whoever I'm with. And the topic of God comes up and we start talking about it and it, it's very clear that there's an assumption in the conversation that either uh, the three of us or the 15 of us that are chatting about this topic there's an assumption that, that God is basically like a philosophy. It's almost like a set of bullet point truths that we might be trying to adhere to about God. And what Haggai is getting to here in this God's pep talk is the source of strength is God. God. The source of strength is God. Is that where your strength is coming from? In the midst of the difficulty that you find yourself in? Is that who you're running to? So the rebuilding of this temple is a reminder to us that we have no hope if God separates himself from us. Again, that's what that temple is meaning. God's very presence is going to be with them. The question, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Think about that this week. Write down that reflection question. Some difficulty will arise. Oh yeah, you can bank on it. And in that difficulty, we have lots of choices in front of us. Some of which I failed at this week. And perhaps you as well. And then there were other uh, glimmers of hope this week. Where God allowed me, and perhaps you as well, to actually realize I wasn't relying on God's strength. And then to turn to God for God's strength. And you might be that person saying, God has failed me. God has failed me. I feel like God is nowhere near right now. My story's dark. It feels hopeless. Um, the waters have risen up to my neck. I'm quoting one of the Psalms right now. It feels like I can't even breathe. So once again... God is with you. God is with you. It's not a promise of these earthly blessings, but the promise is that you'll have God. Okay, let's test drive this, okay? So, again, maybe once again I've lost some of you, but let's test drive this. We're going to get to the third point here to test drive it, and that is practicing God's presence, okay? 
because the temple represents God's presence. By the way, this talk right now is not a campaign for us to go build a church building. I've heard this verse used several times in sermons to have a capital campaign to go build a church building. This is not what this is about. This is about an original audience that needed to go do that. And this is about you and I finding our source of strength in God being with you. So let's, let's test drive this. Uh, practicing God's presence, verses 7 through 9. Uh, inside of you, inside of you is how you can practice God's presence. What I mean by that is later on in the New Testament, one of the writers, Paul, has the audacity to say that God's very presence, the very temple of God, will actually come and dwell inside of you. Whoa. What, what just happened? Whoa. Say that again. Let's quote 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies and minds, spirits, are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives inside of you? Whom you have received from God? You belong to Him. Here's the great news about practicing God's presence. If you're a busy person like me, if you have to-do list upon to-do list and you actually enjoy it, like I do, you don't have to feel like, oh no, I missed my time with God today. I'm going to have a sucky day. That might be true, but God's presence goes with you. That's the great news about him taking up residency inside of you, follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, it's not true of you yet. But he's saying he takes up residency inside of you. God's presence is in you. And that's so hard work here. The get to work part that Haggai is saying is not to like go out and build some temple necessarily. The hard work for you and I is to believe that. Remember the disciples in the New Testament where they too said, Lord, Jesus, we want to do the works of God. And Jesus said, you do? Believe. Believe. Of course, we know belief is a gift that God gives us. So essentially, it's not really us working it. But if you'll play along a little bit here, the working of it means believe. Believe that God is in you. And that's hard. That's hard for a lot of us because we think, oh, dear Lord, do you know what you stepped into? This is one big mess that you've stepped into. I don't know if you can handle this project. Yes, God can. God delights in you. The prophet told us last week, delights in you, sings over you. God is singing inside of you. God is with you. God loves you. Verse 9, back to this text. Verse 9 says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Interesting, the Lord of hosts is God's name here. Talk about hospitality gift. Talk about hosting us as he comes inside of us to literally host our identity and what we think of ourselves. The beautiful thing here about God being inside of you is that God is able to dwell in the humblest of temples. In fact, God prefers it. God prefers dwelling. Think of the manger. 
By the way, next week, we're in Advent season. So the music will change drastically. The conversations, we get to those last two books in the Old Testament, the story begins to get even closer to the coming Messiah. All that's coming for us. And so when you think about even Christ being born in a manger, this Christ, this one that is God with us, Emmanuel, is going to dwell in quite a lowly estate. So you practice God's presence inside of you. Second of all, you practice God's presence at work. Yeah, we said that, at work. If your faith is an active uh, at, at work, and it's just good and, and amazing and so encouraging here on Sunday, but then it just doesn't really mean anything at work, you and I should start questioning our faith. God has given us a robust story that we can find ourselves in that our faith and workplace do overlap. And of course, we don't mean be obnoxious at work about Jesus. That's not what we mean. That's not what the scripture ever means. But some Bible verses that I encourage you to put to memory that will help you practice God's presence at work. Uh, one is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ who's got a boss that's hard to work for. Guess what? As a believer in that space, yes, there's a hierarchy. Yes, there's an org chart. You are working for that boss, or you may be the boss. But ultimately, you're working unto the Lord. The products that you're creating, the tech company that you're going to go and start, the music that you're producing, the poems you're going to write, the medicine that you're practicing, the law that you're practicing, all of it is, is to be done unto the Lord. Is that happening as you think about practicing God's presence? Next verse, since you're putting one to memory, put this one to memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Right now, you may have a dream of something that you feel like God is calling you into. And you have no idea how that's going to work out. We've all, or maybe not all, but some of us have been there. An inkling, a dream, a hope of what it might look like. And yet you feel this overwhelming confidence that God is calling you into it. This verse helps me with that as I practice God's presence at work, because it says, go ahead, give yourselves fully to that. Give yourselves fully to that as you're following God. Prioritize God in that work. Honor God in that work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not about you. It's not your name that you're building. You're doing it to honor Christ. Christ in the workplace. Christ is in all places. Christ in all of you, all over this city, all over this world. Christ's representatives. And then lastly, as we close here, one thing that 
practicing God's presence will enable us to do is it helps us wait. I don't like waiting. Does anybody like waiting? No way. I'm already even thinking about where I'm going to have lunch in a few moments. <laughs> By the way, I think some of us each week just walk around the corner and go grab lunch, so here's a plug for that. If you're wondering where to eat, come eat with us. It'll be fun. Um, it helps us wait. Practicing God's presence helps us wait. We want immediate results. I want to see it right now. And so basically, here's this temple, back to the original context. The glory of this new one is going to surpass the old one, he's saying. It's going to surpass it. It's going to surpass it. Peace is going to come in this temple. Now this prophecy, I hope you're asking this question as you intellectually follow along with the storyline. Did the prophecy happen? Oh yeah, it did. Haggai's prophecy happened, but it didn't happen until 500 years later. Ooh, some of those, well, we've got to say all of those people didn't even see it happen. Because Haggai, of course, is writing around 520 when they're rebuilding the temple. And we know in 20 BC, Herod the Great comes 500 years later and builds an even bigger, like sort of builds onto that temple. But in verse 7 here, this is incredible. He says, The treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory. Haggai's quoting Isaiah 60 as he does that. That's beautiful. And you know what he says in Isaiah 60? He says there's going to be kings from different nations, and they're going to bring frankincense and gold to this king Messiah who's going to come into this temple. I hope that triggers a memory to Matthew chapter 2. As we get into the Advent season, Matthew chapter 2, it's going to be fulfilled as those magi or kings of different nations come bringing gifts of gold, frankincense to this baby king, Jesus, the Messiah. Beautiful. How Old Testament and New Testament connect together. I don't even have enough time today to underscore all of that. Malachi, which we're going to get to um, in a couple weeks here, that, that the promise of Jesus, the Messiah, will come to his temple is also being prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. They're all talking the same message. Haggai's not just some weird guy making up some story. They're all, all talking about the same story. And another interesting feature in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy there of Jesus. Guess what names it mentions there? Well, Zerubbabel shows up there again. All those names that Alan was reading a minute ago are right there in Matthew chapter 1. Real historical people. The historicity of Jesus is so real to us. And then in Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 23, Jesus will take the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of Haggai is in Revelation chapter 21. Like, so Haggai was pointing to, to, to future, yes, but then he was also pointing towards far future. Far future of what this new nation of peace will be like. In Revelation chapter 21, he talks about it, where this new nation of peace will be one in which there's no more crying, there's no more suffering. There's no more famine. There's no more drought. There's no more injustice. I've got to close by saying the biggest pep talk that God could give us is by simply saying, 
God is with you. God is enough for you. Why don't we pray that we would believe that right now? Dear Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your presence, oh God, your presence is what gives us strength. And today, each of us, we we truly lack the strength that we're going to need for the journey. And so we come to this, your place, and we ask you to fill us with your strength. Fill us with your power. Fill us with restoring, healing grace and forgiveness that we need today. And we pray all this in the name of, of Christ. Amen.